This podcast is and always will be ad-free, but we rely on listeners like you to show us the love and subscribe. It helps others find the show, so please write us a review on the App Store by going to make.sc slash podcast review. You can also go to make.sc slash podcast to see the show notes, and we invite you to leave comments, join in on the discussion, and tell us what you think of the episode. Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. Our topic for today is therapy. Now, I know some of you might think, oh, I'm not going to therapy, or I don't know if I need therapy, but this episode is about some of the deeper human aspects of social-emotional intelligence, understanding yourself and others. So I guarantee that there'll be something in here for you. And part of the reason why I believe there'll be something is that we have an amazing guest, and she is called Innovative and Inspiring by the American Counseling Association. Licensed therapist and entrepreneur B. Arthur has become a leader in the field of mental health care and telemedicine. With the goal of transforming traditional therapy into a more affordable and approachable experience, she created In Your Corner, which is an organization that provides instant expert support when you need it. And she's been featured in Elle, MTV, Fast Company, Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, the list goes on and on and on. And she was also the first black female CEO in the U.S. to be accepted into the prestigious Y Combinator Accelerator Program. So B and I discuss a bunch of super fascinating topics, including questions to get through small talk, the power that journaling has on the brain, and how to tell if you're in hard circumstances or if it's in your head, as well as getting out of autopilot mode. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I do and get something valuable out of it. Let's go. Thank you so much for coming here. I guess I'm the one coming here. I'm in your office now. I'm seeing a couple of coffee mugs with the letters B-E-A on it, Um, a do-what-you-love notepad, a beautiful plant, lots of sticky notes. This is is your office where uh, In Your Corner works, correct? this is where the magic happens. This is where the magic happens. (laughs) And and thank you so much for being here. And I'd love to start in with a a question of, you know, wellness can mean so many different things to different people. How would you define wellness? I define wellness, good question. I define (laughs) wellness as really kind of a whole health thing. Um, I think someone who's healthy and well is someone who is calm, um, who has peace, who has a clear vision. Um, Just things are easy. I think a lot of the times people think about um, being happy or being happier or being better. But for me, I feel like, you know, what's underrated is this idea of contentment, of having everything that you need. And, you know, when you think about your body's health, there's no problem. It's on its own operating system. A lot of things are automatic and it's just working together. And in the same way, as far as mental and emotional health, I just love to see people just really aligned with who they are. No apologies, you know, really focused on what they want and creating that in the life that they have. Mm -hmm. So for me, that is really exciting to create. 
So that's sort of alignment. And yes, personal together. alignment, yes. What would you say with a lot of your clients that, and again, can you maybe describe some of the clients you've had and the places you've worked and the types of people you've seen? Because I'm a therapist in the startup space, I work with a lot of high-performance individuals in high-pressure situations. So I'm constantly seeing a trend, and not just in the startup space, but just people who are anxious or overwhelmed, kind of catastrophizing things, things like that. I see that a lot with, with young people. So yeah, that's something I kind of like to fluff down. Wow, so with that kind of catastrophizing, <laughs> catastrophizing <laughs> new word I'm learning today <laughs> what would you you know I think that's something that a lot of people experience at some point in their lives and, um, you know whether you're the six year old at the community center or, or the, a top entrepreneur are there any sort of commonalities you see between the way people are thinking about their lives or kind of trends between a lot of your patients um, both in terms of the mental thought process behind this, as well as yeah. some of the the questions you ask or, or ways that you approach the conversation that brings them kind of some sort of wellness. Yes, I mean, I think the main thing is that, um, I always say, you know, we are a storytelling people. You know, humans love a good story. We really respond to a good narrative. That's why you can see something in your own life and be like, ah, it's nothing special. But then you see it in a really cute commercial and you're just tears, you know? <laughs> I think people really respond to stories. And when you are narrative and you see things in a linear way, um, there's a tendency to say, okay, this thing happens, which means this other big thing must be happening and it's the worst. And like, so if something's really good, like you have a really great first date, you're like, oh my God, this is the love of my life. We're going to get married. Or if something really bad goes, you know, a meeting at work, for example, goes badly, like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. There's like a tendency to kind of magnify things in this linear way that says, well, this means that. When if you can take kind of perspective, and really that's all therapists do is get you to shift your perspective hmm. and say, okay, like this is what's actually happening. And it doesn't mean this, but it can mean if I do these things. So it's really a matter of kind of like breaking down like the, this bigger element of what the actual thing is um, and not kind of like maximizing the potential of it in that moment. Yeah. Why do, why do you think people tend to kind of dramatize these moments. We're dramatic. <laughs> We're dramatic. I mean, think of all the movies that do the best. You know, think of all the shows, the reality TV. It's like, oh my God, they, she threw a drink in her face. You know, it's just yeah. very dramatic when usually you're just annoyed with the person. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just this tendency to like maximize this thing. I think our culture has gotten better at that. Just like by displaying so many different kinds of lives. You know, they're on TV, so they must be big. You know, these are huge stories that people are talking about. They're really big deals. But, you know, life is actually pretty boring. A well-lived life should be pretty Pretty boring, I would say. <laughs> no drama, stable, safe sound. Like I said, just the wellness, you know, doing your own thing without, you know, getting dragged either way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be so extreme. Yeah. What would you say, you know, you learned so much talking to all these people. Where did it start? Where did, what kind of seed within you started calling and saying, this is the type of work I want to do? And what kind of motivated you? To be a therapist and then to start in your corner. Yes. Um, I started out... So I've had a lot of lives, actually. So I'm 31 years old now. I've been in New York for almost 10 years. And um, I started out... I was a nonprofit, then I was a personal trainer. What did you do in nonprofit? I, I worked at a place called Witness. Um, it was Peter Gabriel's nonprofit, actually. Um, they helped um, put together stories. And who's Peter Gabriel? Just oh that. my God, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the audience. Oh my God, so he's up in your eyes. He's a really big singer. He was in Genesis with Phil Collins. <laughs> okay. Well, great. anyways, he's a lovely I will have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> How old am I? Uh, how old are you? 
Um, Peter Gabriel started a nonprofit called Witness, and they provided documentary resources to smaller causes so they could document their story. So, like, any story that they found interesting, like, they did Books Not Bars, for example, or Books Not Brothels. They did one about, like, you know, crossing border and vigilantes, things like that. So that was my very, very first job, like, internship in New York. I also did the, do you have the time? Do you have a second for the environment? I did that. I did everything. I just, I, you know, I was really trying to, I was always very ambitious, but I didn't know what I wanted to do straight out of school. So I crashed and burned like a lot. I just kept trying. What, what does that mean, crash and burn? I kept trying things and being, this is it. And then it didn't work out. I get fired. I get lose interest in. So it was always this like really fast romantic <laughs> start that it was like, oh, it didn't work out. Like over and over and over again. Um, but where I found my stride was actually in real estate. And what really worked about real estate is I did new development, not rental sales, which means that I sold buildings that hadn't been built yet and like like um, floor plans and things like that. And it was fun because then you could dream, right? You tell this person, oh my God, you're gonna have this window and you know your puppy's gonna be here. And when you are talking about things that don't exist and like what you could have, people get really excited, right? And you like say, this is where your life is now and this is the life that I'm going for. And this is like you can have, you buy this apartment. But I wasn't shaky about it. I would just like get people to talk to me. And you know, I'm really nosy, I have terrible boundaries, obviously. And um, I was like, so do you think you're gonna stay with him? Do you think you're gonna marry him? Would you see yourself having kids with this woman like where do you do what neighborhood do you want to live in don't you want to live in europe before you go and people would just open up to me and and they were really very good for sales and, <laughs> and eventually somebody just said you know it's really easy like too easy to talk to you they're like you should be a therapist and i had never thought about it never even considered it um but i went and i shadowed a class at columbia and i loved it it was the only school i applied to and i got in Wow. It came to me, yeah. It came to me in my nose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting hearing you say that you talk to people about their current situations mm -hmm. and then help them see a, a yeah. future that wasn't even created yet yes. in these buildings and in their lives and, and so in their many spaces. Things would come up, like you know, like even if they were with someone now, you saw this a lot. Like, oh yeah, you know, like oh yeah, I'll probably get married and have kids. And then, you know, like, one thing that's really interesting with men, like, especially if they come from families where they've been from divorce and, you know, they're very clear about what they want. Um, they want marriage, but not necessarily with the person they're with, you know, and like, but they haven't thought about it, right? You get an autopilot. You're like, yeah, sure, we'll get married and have kids, you know? And so I'm like, oh, well, this woman, you know, like, do you think yeah. this, is, this is what you want, like, for your future? And they just, there's so many things that once you get going and you wake up, you go to the gym, you go to work, you come back, you party, that you're on autopilot, that you don't consciously think about what it is you want and what you're creating. And everything you're doing now is creating that future. So unless you stop and take a look at what you're doing and where it's taking you, like, I mean, that's, that's why you see people at 45 and 50 having these crises because they weren't active participants in the life that they were creating. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let, let's take, let's take that situation of someone who is on autopilot Yes. and they, they may not be recognizing mm -hmm. what they're doing and how they're doing and how, what they need to get on track or that possibility that you're presenting to them. Yeah. So let's say you have a patient coming in for the first time and you don't know too much about them. I'm not sure. Do you usually do a sort of diagnostic of like, here's what's on my mind so you can kind of download that information before you see them? No, I let them tell me. Most of the time when people refer to me, they, they just say, oh, I want to talk about this. And the truth is, most of the time what they say they want to talk about is not what ends up being talked about. Interesting. It's not what's on their mind. They'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm having issues with my coworker at work and I just want to learn how to better communicate, let's say. But then it really comes down to, you know, like, I'm not being respected at home. You know, like, there's so many things. That Why is there that kind of... 
disconnect within people. Because you have to figure out where your baseline is. Like whatever's at the root, that's going to manifest itself in symptoms in all of the other circumstances in your life. So for example, in psychology, there's this theory called the uh, self and relation theory. And the idea is that like if you were fully personally aligned, self-actualized person, that all of your different selves are consistent. So let's say Dan work, you know, Dan girlfriend, Dan friends, you know, like ideally all those things would be the same. But more often what you see is that like, for example, me, be with boys is very different than be with my boys, be with my parents, you know what I mean? And the idea is that all those things would be consistent. So depending on where your baseline is, and what's interesting is where your most dysfunction is, is really who you are. Like whatever is acting out is where the conflict is. You know, mm -hmm. whenever there's conflict, there's confusion, there's crisis, there's chaos and things like that. And that's kind of, that's acting out because you're not addressing what's happening with you, your personal self, just your, you and your autopilot everyday life. Um, something is in conflict and isn't resolved and isn't at peace. So that's where your attention should go. Yeah, interesting. When you say who, who you, where you're acting out, that's who you are. As someone, like if I was your patient, I'd say, oh my gosh, my, my worst self is my who I really am, you know. Not your worst self, but the part that is asking for attention. The squeaky oil gets the wheel. Yeah. Like, all that can go away. And that's the thing. It's not definitive. Like, you are this angry mm -hmm. person. You are this really aggressive football player or whatever. No, it's something is there that you should be paying attention to. Because yeah. everything else, I always say, you don't think about things that aren't problems. You know, like, if all your bills are paid, you don't yeah. think about them. You only think about the thing that is the problem. Right. You know? And that's the thing. Like, and that, if you're suppressing it and not looking at it, it continues to grow. It's there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, and it's showing up in other areas of your life. Like, if you are really upset at work or whatever, then guess what? You're going to come home and bitch about it to your partner a lot. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to think you're an unhappy person or he's going to think you're an unhappy person. Where it's not that you're an unhappy person. It's that this area of your life is not working for you. You know? And so that's what's invisible to people. They don't realize. They're like, but I love my job. And that's true. Unfortunately, what I've realized is a lot of people hate their jobs. Like, like I think I saw a stat that was like over 70% of people, you know, wish they were doing something else. But what I found is that most of the time it's not exactly that. Like most people actually, you know, have that skill set and enjoy the work that they do. But the conflict is maybe like their work environment isn't conducive to doing their best work. There's some personal dynamics with coworkers or their boss that, you know, really kind of suppresses that and doesn't allow for that. They get sidelined with all the other bullshit like paperwork and stuff. Yeah. That doesn't let them do good work. And when you feel disconnected from this, you know, intention of I want to do good work, I want to build this website, I want to build this community, and then there's all these other external things that are getting in the way, then you're cluttered, and then that's chaos, that's conflict. Yeah. So it's again, that's not aligned. You know, you can't be aligned with your person and this purpose is, you know, there's a disconnect. Wow. So if someone's kind of experiencing a lot of these things that you're mentioning, yeah. and you're having your first conversation yes. with them, What's your what kind of mental model do you have on how you're seeing the person and how you're engaging yeah. with them to help them kind of start to work through some of this stuff? So in the very first session, and I, I don't I can't speak for all therapists, but at least for me, because before I went back to school, like I said, I was super nosy. I was already talking to people and getting their <laughs> secrets and getting them to, like for for years. But um, usually for the for the most part, in the first session, the first 15, 20 minutes, you can see what the real problem is and like what they actually need to do it. What does it mean, see the real problem? Because like, I, I assume like a lot yeah. of people are in the conversation, they're just listening to what they're saying and it says, okay, you say that's the problem. Right. That's got to be the problem. What, what does that mean yeah. to kind of see, see the deeper level? Yeah, so for example, um, somebody who comes in, like I said, a lot of people don't like their jobs, which is understandable. This is how you spend most of your day, you know? And it's like, you're, <laughs> like it's just not a fit, you know, that's going to feel like your life when it's not. So sometimes you see people come in and they're talking about this work. And so another secret with therapists, or at least me as a therapist, if I find myself being bored, that's not what they really came in to talk about. Because the way they talk about, 
oh yeah, you know, like bored with what they're saying. Yeah, and it's not bored with what they're saying. It's because they're disconnected. So I'm disconnected. You know, and people we call it the doorknob theory. People will talk around an issue and about other issues until the last ten minutes, and they go, well, what's really going on is my girlfriend and I have been fighting a lot lately. You know, or what's really bothering me. But we have to talk about all these pleasantries. You know, Americans especially are used to small talk. Are very, you know, really worried about like keeping their guard up, and so that's why even though I may see what's going on with you and what you would want to do to fix it, if I just come out and say, yeah, you should probably get out of that relationship, you probably get out of that job, you know, and, and feeling that scene that early on when you've worked your whole life to keep this facade up is yeah. unnerving. It's first of all, you, it's like you know, you feel very vulnerable, you know, so like you don't do that outright, which is why they're there because their friends are telling you all the time, quit it if you hate it so much. They're not ready to hear that and they're not ready to act on that. So my job as a therapist is kind of partner with them and guide them towards it. Because again, like it's just kind of like, if I think of it, then I think it's a great idea. If you tell me what to do, then I'm just like, eh, let me think about it or whatever. Yeah. So you have to get it so that you feel like this is the best decision for you. Hmm. What are, what are some sort of questions that you find are most powerful in sort of bringing the conversation there? Or I guess the way I'm thinking about it in my head is kind of cutting through the small talk. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you can be on a date with someone yeah. and say, okay, how's your day? What do you do for work? Yeah. But then you can kind of get to that deep question yes. where the conversation actually starts. Yes. What are some kind of techniques and... Yeah, I guess we'll start there. Yeah, I mean, so one thing is, especially like the very first time when somebody's kind of like taking a lot of, you know, talking around it and just kind of like filling me in on this stuff, you know, halfway through I'll just go, is that what you really want to talk about? You know, you're like, this is your time, this is your money, you can talk about it all day, you know, but like I feel like you could, you know, talk to your mom or your friends about this or whatever, is that what you want to pay me to talk about? Like, you know, I'm in your corner, let's do it. Um, that's one, and that kind of challenges them to like just get going on it. Um, another thing is, like I said, people do tend to catastrophize things. Um, and, you know, whenever someone says always or never, you know, he never takes me seriously. She always takes his side or whatever. And then I try and ask for a very specific example. Because, like, again, like, it, that's probably not true. It's not all the time. And if it is, we need to identify that pattern and what got you into that pattern in the first place. See about what works for you, what doesn't, and how to break it so you're not in the same place in the future. Because like I said, we really are on autopilot. So unless you, like, something has to start or stop for there to be a change. So yeah. I'll ask, what about this particular thing bothers you so much? What about this person? Instead of always or never or everybody or no one listens to me, it's like, give me an example and what about that do you feel? Um, I really try to connect with feelings, not situations. I'm not really that interested in the details because, again, it's that one person's perception. What I am interested in is how they feel about that thing. Everything that we create is so we can feel a certain way. So like if I want to find a boyfriend, it's because I want love, right? But I have to remember that I want love, not just any Tinder dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if I'm focused on that love that I want, that I want to feel whatever, I will ignore going on dates that are just filler. You know what I mean? Like if I want to feel healthy, you know, I don't want to just lose weight. I don't want to just lose 10 pounds to be sexy. I want to feel super healthy. So I'm going to juice. Well, not steroids. I mean, green juice, <laughs> kale, stuff like that. I'm eating donuts right now. Um, but, you know, you focus on the feeling. You never want to be too attached to an outcome because then you're operating at a deficit. You know, then what if you don't get it? Then you're setting yourself up for good intention, failure, yeah. or guilt. And none of those things serve you. Well, what's more likely to keep you motivated towards that thing is that feeling that want. If you do something out of want versus something out of need, um, those two results will look very different. So I really encourage people to really just get on this feeling because we can learn a lot about that feeling at your worst moment and at your highest, best case scenario. So I really try and juxtapose those two for the person. Yeah. Wow. And so a lot of these are stuff that people are working internally. But yeah. of course, like you mentioned, you've had clients who have been victims of sexual assault and mm -hmm. domestic violence. What 
What would you say um, is your take on hardship that is sometimes circumstantial and sometimes kind of within our own heads, you know, and how I can imagine a lot of people think like, oh man, I'm having a really crappy time at my job. Is it the job that's wrong or do like, I need to change my attitude? You know, what would you say is kind of, how do you help people navigate through these sort of circumstantial versus more internal, um, challenges and what's your, how do you look at it? Well, so, so yeah, so I like to talk about clinical versus circumstantial feelings and moods. Uh, like people talk about depression a lot as if it's this, like sickness or whatever, where you can, a totally healthy normal person can feel depressed, you know, and for, with good reason, like if things are going wrong, you should feel sad, you know, like you're, it's that way you can do something about it. Like, okay, I am sad about this. Something's not going right. What can I fix it? Um, clinical depression, clinical anxiety, um, when you see that, that kind of, you know, medication is recommended for that. And like with depression, for example, true clinical depression is like being in a bubble. Like I wouldn't even feel how sad you were about it because you'd just be talking about it like this. You would just be, everything is matter of fact, you're in this bubble, nothing really gets to you. Like you just don't have a lot of energy. Whereas people who are sad or angry feel very passionate about this thing that's going wrong or right or anything. So like clinical depression or is like, you're, it's a chemical imbalance that your mind is not letting you feel joy mm-hmm. or forward. You feel stuck. Like, it really is just, like, being, you feel separated from people. There's no... And that's what's so sad, right? We are a community of people. We're tribal people. We're humans, you know? So that feeling of disconnect and that isolation or whatever, that is a more clinical depression. So that's why, you know, people are like, oh, well, I don't want to be depressed. I'm like, well, you're not clinically depressed. Something's, yeah. <laughs> something's not working for you in your life, and that can be fixed. And when there's hope, that's, that's when you know you're not, like, clinically depressed. Yeah. And even if you are clinically depressed, there's nothing wrong with that. Get on a great medication regimen or whatever, and then you can start to build those things. Yeah. Because you can't when you're in the valley, right? You can't even, like, get on a level playing field so you can start to take those steps. So um, so that's clinical depression or clinical anxiety. Um, that tends to look more like neuroses, you know, kind of, like, over-controlling for things, over-engagement with things. Um, but again, sometimes that works for people. There's a lot of people, and I'm sure you've seen, like, entrepreneurs, and that chaos really feeds them, you know? Like, and if it moves you and if it works for you, great. That might not work for me. Whatever, but people are so individual. There are some things that I would ever do um, that other people thrive on, you know, yeah. like as leaders, as employees, as partners, whatever. That doesn't work for me. But again, it's really about what works for you. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that <clears throat> answered the question. No, <laughs> it definitely did. Definitely did. You and said I, I could go on tangents, you know. So totally permitted. And, it, and it's not a tangent because it actually leads right into my next Ooh, question, which is. Um, I'd want to move a little bit into In Your Corner, yeah. the amazing company that Thank you started. You. And <clears throat> I know that um, I've already given a little synopsis in the intro, um, mm-hmm. would love to hear a little, a little bit about the services that you provide. And I understand, tying back to the, the last comment you made, that um, it, it can be useful for both people who are clinically depressed and also people who are um, having struggles in their life that they're working for but aren't necessarily clinically depressed. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear, like, given all, all the wisdom you've shared, <laughs> you know, how does this all fit into In Your Corner and what do you hope to do with it? Yeah, so In Your Corner provides instant expert support when you need it. That's our tagline. And In Your Corner, if you do some research, is actually uh, not a pivot but a rebrand from the original company which was called Pretty Padded Room. And Pretty Padded Room was for um, all female therapists to connect with a primarily female clientele to talk about the different life transitions that come being a young adult woman. And I started that company because I was a young adult woman. <laughs> and I said, 
I want something that's just for me. And I think you'll see that a lot when people aren't going through anything. Your pain feels so personal and so particular, like no one can understand. Um, and that's kind of the experience I wanted to um, provide, the alternative I wanted to provide with the kind of therapy that we offer. Just being like, if you are going through this, we got you covered. We are experts in this area, you know? So like, you don't have to worry about like all the fluff and stuff like that. We will sort it out for you. Um, and so with Pretty Padded Room, it worked really well. It was very sticky. We had therapists who specialize in breakups, jobs. And what were the services? That it was online had? therapy. So you go in, you choose a therapist, you watch a video. You do a trial for 25 um, and you work with them on a monthly model or pay as you go and you do it through video or we call it the digital diary which is you just write in your journal and your therapist writes back mm -hmm. and so that's how, where we started but we started seeing the reason we decided to rebrand um, after Y Combinator I was in Y Combinator this summer with Pretty Padded Room and I was the resident therapist I mean <laughs> without fail every single <laughs> week they were like oh be my co-founder and I Finn or all my girlfriend doesn't want to do long distance anymore and I was like yo you know what I do like why aren't you using my site you know <laughs> like, well, it's for girls right it's super purple like <laughs> and I'm just like you know I you know, we have something that works I want everybody to use it no matter where they are or who they are so in your corner is opening it up and um, the main difference that I'm really proud of is you know again people do have their preconceived notions about what therapy is or what kind of people go to therapy so even though you know that's my tribe I'm a therapist we're also adding like life coaching and meditation and mentoring um, just to meet people where they are you know like whatever mm -hmm. you kind of need because again like there's different things that work for people I'm currently working with somebody who helps me with breath work because um, it really helps me like calm down like I don't really need to talk about what's going on I want to like get it out of my mind and, and you know heal that mood with breath yeah. so again like wherever you are whatever kind of like healing activity you'd like to see uh, that's what we're doing so, that's amazing thank you and you know you mentioned like getting stuff off your mind yes get it out I know one of the components you said on the site about the journaling is just the yes. active venting yes. and just speaking things out to a therapist, even if they're not even asking you questions that are helping you be more introspective, yeah. can be really powerful. What happens in people's brains mm -hmm. when they are journaling or venting and, and why, why is that powerful? It's so powerful. I'll just say it out loud because one thing I say, and I'll be talking about this in my next talk, is... Um, the reason people kind of like dismiss therapy as this kind of like cerebral hippy dippy thing is because you know you can't see feelings you know like so people don't take them seriously you know if, if you broke your leg I wouldn't be like oh just be positive which is what people who are going through depression get told you know but if you can't see something you don't take it as seriously but I mean most people have things that they're feeling very deeply and are actively repressing for most of their day or whatever and it's affecting them in other ways those symptoms are showing up whether they're not sleeping as well whether they are just like lethargic whether they're gaining weight whether they're eating more just numbing behaviors and so like journaling and just saying it out loud once you say it out loud it's real and then you can do something about it and I think that like we were talking about like with clinical depression you are so low that you don't even have the energy to do anything about it but once you just start to like let it out and it feels like you're not being overwhelmed by it you know like you can get ahead of it you can talk about it like it's not winning over you because if you don't talk about it fine you're not dealing with it or whatever but it's still there it's still there. So I think journaling and just like typing it out and discussing how you actually feel about it. Because like I said, most of the time these things are invisible to people. You know, like the first time I was working with a couple, they didn't think they were going to get divorced. I didn't think they were going to get divorced. But like probably in our seventh session, one of them said, this isn't going to work out, out loud, you know. And they didn't know that they were coming to work on their communication. But who they were as people were incompatible. 
you know, and they didn't see that or realize that. And it was through like talking more about it and seeing, and, and everything worked better after that because they were forcing, it's a mistake to put energy into the wrong thing. So I feel like really being clear on what it is that's actually happening, because you know, we're rational beings, we can rationalize anything. Oh, well, I'm doing this because, you know, I'm lonely, or I'm doing this because, you know, oh, it's, it's not a bad thing to get experience or whatever. It's not for you. You know, it's not yeah. for you. And you're <laughs> lying to yourself and you're lying for everybody else for no benefit. You'll be better if you are aligned, if you are honest with yourself, if you are doing what you need to do to take care of yourself and to get to this life that you want. You know, yeah. so again, like really don't ignore that conflict. Don't avoid it. You know, say it out loud, type it out. And once you see it, once you face it, you can fix it. And I often find that that first step of putting it on paper and being like, yeah. wow, this is something I, I experienced and this is real for me is often that first step in recognizing, yes. okay, now what do I, now what do I do about it? Yes. <laughs> Where I find if I don't put it in a journal, right. then it's kind of spinning around my head and mm -hmm. you don't, you can't really start addressing it. it. Down. Yeah. And I think there's something so powerful about just saying this is real. Yes. And, and even if it shouldn't, even if it shouldn't be this way, even if I don't want it to be this way, right. it's real and right. I'm going to own it and yes. I'm going to, I'm going to move forward. With right. It. Exactly. Yeah. Hiding it really doesn't do anybody yeah. any favor, at least for all the person who's going through it. So, so what would, what would you say? Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not a clinical therapist, but I, I love helping my friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the same time, you know, both my parents are clinical therapists and I know yeah. that they have mm -hmm. such a, um, a deeper understanding that I have about how the human mind works and how to serve people. Right. What would you say is a big distinction and differentiate someone who does have this sort of clinical license training mm -hmm. versus someone who's just a really good friend and a good listener? I guess, I guess yeah. for you personally, like when you were the real estate, <laughs> real estate bee mm -hmm. and were so helpful with friends yeah. and then after your training, what, what were, what's the big differentiating factor for you? Yeah, um, good question. Um, I would definitely say, and again, if you have a friend that's good, it always makes you feel better or whatever, you know, and it's working for you, great. But what I would recommend going to a professional for is really trying to get clear on what's wrong, not necessarily wrong, but what's not working for you, and what are the immediate next steps to make it better. Um, with your friends or people who listen, giving advice, um, that's not, that's kind of covering up. It's a band-aid, right? Like, and again, like there's these symptoms, right? Like you're going to be acting out, you're going to be lazy, you're going to be not sleeping anymore. Where therapy really gets at the core issue of things, you know, and cleans out that wound so you can like move forward. Mm. Um, if I can give you an example, there was yes, a client please. that I had who originally came and she said, you know, um, I had some issues with my mom for a long time and I just feel like it's affecting my life in other ways. And, and she did have a very great history, not great, but a really intense and powerful that was definitely affecting her as an adult. Her, she was raised by her dad primarily. Um, but the way it was showing up was that she had been in a long-term, long-distance relationship with a guy who, this girl was so sweet, and she was so mean to this man, so mean to this man. And what it was is that she was testing him to see if and when he would leave because she'd been abandoned by her mother, said some part of her on some level believed that, so the, the main person who was supposed to love her, everybody else has these relationships with their mom. Our society really celebrates that. But she didn't identify that. She'd never seen it in her own life. So the story that she was being told was like, oh, your mother will always be there for you. And she never, ever had that. So here she found this man who was willing to do anything for her um, and basically not feel, and he was much older than her too, so it was kind of another parental figure. And she just did everything she could to push him away, to confirm the belief that the person who loved her the most would leave. Mm -hmm. And he never did. And but as a result, the things that she did definitely took their toll on the relationship. 
and that love was there and it was unconditional or whatever but you know you can only you know it's it's not as strong as it would be if you know she had honored it and it had let it be pure and let it not have anything to do with testing and seeing if he would leave but again she didn't realize it mm -hmm. she, and, and as a result like the relationship was a lot weaker because he let her get away with a lot of things because he understood where she was coming mm -hmm. from that she shouldn't have been able to get the only way to correct that is to say I'm not leaving stop this believe it or don't stop this don't treat somebody you love like this just because I love you unconditionally mm -hmm. you know and so had he said that early on in the relationship you know that you know she was never planning on moving to live with him she it was just this space where she could act out her anger towards her absent mother on this man that loved her yeah. very much so that's the thing yeah so how, how did you pursue this conversation or, you know she again when she talked about her mom it, had, it was an old issue she was a grown woman it was an old her mom wasn't around since she was like eight or whatever so when she talked about it she I would get bored. She didn't seem that passionate about it. It was just kind yeah. of like a, it is what it is kind of thing. So, but when she would talk about her boyfriend and the things that would happen, and she would almost laugh, like she couldn't believe that, she couldn't believe it. And that's because she couldn't believe that anybody, like, he would truly love her. Yeah. She just, and at her core, and I know that she didn't think that's what was going on, because she would say all day long, I love him, but that she was in the pattern of saying that she loved him. Yeah. She wasn't acting. She wasn't in the habit of acting like she loved this man. So again, like, yeah, that was just her life. And, you know, she wasn't really looking at it and examining what was really going on to keep creating these patterns and keep her in this mm -hmm. pattern. So she couldn't grow out of it. And so once we really made that match and identified what was happening, um, she decided to leave because as an apology to him, she was just like, you know, I've been wrong. You've done yeah. everything you can. You know, like, you can't help me. And that's the thing. Like, your friends can't help you. Unless a change is internally motivated, it's not going to stick. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the therapist's role is to... to have the conversation to get that internal. Yeah, I just think I give you glasses, you know, like I let you see things mm -hmm. a little bit better, a little bit differently, you know, and that's it. Yeah. What would you say has been the, some of the content you, you read or engaged with in school mm -hmm. and some of the experiences you've had? What are kind of the different building blocks that have helped you become a better therapist and get better at your craft? Yeah at helping people put on the glasses. Yeah, um, definitely I would And, and say, feel free to mention specifics we can put in the, the show notes. Sure, um, I would say um, be close at a distance is one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from one of my supervisors. Um, you have to stay really close to what they're saying, you know, like, but, you know, and again, like, like I said, like, in the first session, you can usually say, okay, like, this is what's really going on, blah, blah, but you don't work that out. So you stay really close, you listen, you write down notes, you write down questions that you'll bring up for when they are ready, but you give them the space to kind of talk it out loud mm -hmm. and like get it out of their head and kind of, you, and you really want to hear, especially when there's a disconnect to what they're saying and what they're doing, you really want to see how they're rationalizing it for themselves. Like, hmm. you know, you'll have friends, I see, you, I did a lot of couples counseling. So you see these people that are in these relationships that either aren't going to go the distance or could if something changed. And they're just in the habit of thinking, like, oh, it's fine. You know what I mean? Or, well, I'm in this, or, oh, the only reason I put up with it is because of this, or because we have kids, or because I'm so close to his mom. You know, there are all these reasons. It's like, okay, well, you know, that, and you just look at it and you say, okay, this is what she believes right now. This is what he thinks is actually happening right now. So I'm not going to challenge your reality and say, that's not wrong. Yeah. You're lying to yourself. Like, I'll never see that a person again, and I'm, I don't have the opportunity to help. So I keep that in mind, and I talk about the truth of what they're saying and why they believe that. And I give them the space to let them think that. And then just little by little, once that trust is established, you start what's called thought challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, you know, if that was true, or, you know, then wouldn't it look like this? You know, like, could mm -hmm. you still do what you're doing, like, but over here and away from that? Like, you to get it more online. You mentioned when people are ready. You know, yeah. what does what that kind of progression look like to becoming ready? And when what types of questions do you bring in early into the challenge process? 
what types of questions you bring in later and, and when what they start challenging their own thought process they're ready because they've been telling themselves not, not a lie but whatever reasons they need to keep this facade going this not facade but whatever you know they're they're doing that isn't you know where they're meant to be yeah when they start saying but you know I just don't know if I really need to do that anymore. You know, like, I don't know if I can make any more excuses for her anymore. You know, I really don't like it when he or she does this. You know, when they start mm-hmm. saying that out loud and not excusing it away or explaining it away, we do this all the time. We can explain anything away. We're very, especially very smart people are really, really good at giving excuses for why they do the things that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they're ready, you know, like, one thing I always like to say is, um, you know, you say you want this, but you are acting like you want this. You know, it's like you so There's a lot of observation, yeah. kind of being a mirror so that they can see themselves I more that. clearly. I am a mirror. You know, like another yeah. thing that helps is not asking a lot of questions. You know, like they saying, well, why do you think you do that? You know, like that's what they're, that's what they're asking me. You know, they, they want to know why they're doing it too, whatever. So that doesn't help. They could frustrate someone. The mm-hmm. same statements instead, you know, like, um, like if somebody's having an issue, you know, like at work or whatever, you know, I was so mad at my boss and he was so rude to me and it's like, Oh, well, it sounds like when your boss does this, like, instead of help talking to somebody, just me about it. You know, like... Hmm. And then, that's interesting. And then I'm sure you, you sit in a little bit of silence and they say, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I love to hear I never thought about it like that. That is my favorite. That is my glass of champagne. That is why I'm getting a steak tonight. I never thought about it that way. About, about it what way? Well, if a client says that to me, then, that, then I'm on the right track. Yeah. That's the thing. You just want to shift their perspective. You just want to give them mm-hmm. glasses to see things a little bit differently. I don't want to change your life for the most yeah. part. Your life is fine. You know, I'm going to change this thing that isn't working for you. So back to back to in your corner. You also wanted the services to be affordable because sometimes if yeah. people don't have access to healthcare, yeah. therapy can be really expensive. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so I'm interested in how you how what went into that decision and how you think about for profit and becoming right. profitable while simultaneously being affordable and kind of the challenges because I'm sure a lot of people who are leaders in their own organizations are kind of might be facing similar problems because they want to make their services affordable. Yeah, I mean, I so. think affordable is super, it was always really important to me that anybody could be able to do it because what you see is, you know, it's usually therapy is for like really, really poor people because there's a lot of brands that go to community health and things like that because that's where I got my start and like social working, mental health agencies like that only accepted Medicaid, for example. And then other people think it's for bored housewives who want to complain about their nannies or whatever who can afford $300 an hour. And then there's the rest of the world who is dealing with real life and all the actual yeah. shit that goes down or whatever. I'm like, well, why can't they, you know? So I say pretty pattern room is for the people. Like, it's not a privilege, you know? It's something that I think everybody should do. Like, I really want people to see emotional health and counseling and coaching as something you're missing out on if you don't do at least once, you know, like it doesn't help to have an advisor, somebody in your corner. And like, when you think about in your corner, like the boxing reference, it's somebody who is watching what you do. You come back and they go, okay, like this is what they're doing and this is what you're doing. Here's what you change up. You know, like I'm watching, I know how you work or whatever. And I want you to work better when you go out there and face the world. So that's how I think of in your corner. And I think that the whole world would be better. I mean, I really am very committed to seeing a shift in how everybody thinks taking your thinking, I think that's evolutionary. You know, if you stay in this treadmill in your everyday habits of thinking the way you normally think, mm-hmm. you're not gonna grow. And the people you interact with aren't gonna grow. So I'm really into challenging people to take their lives and their thinking to the next level. Mm. I think that global shift helps everyone. Um, what do you think it'll take to destigmatize depression and make people feel more inclined to get involved in these? I think, yeah. you know, you mentioned very early on that um, it shouldn't nece- we shouldn't necessarily see this as 
uh, mental health, but more emotional health, yes. because it's not a clinical issue that it's something that everybody faces. Yeah, I think whenever you talk about mental health or mental illness more specifically, it implies a weakness, it implies a disorder, it implies a sickness, it implies that something's wrong. But most people, I would say all people, in fact, have been stressed and depressed several times throughout their lives, as they should. When change is very difficult, it's very uncomfortable, it's hard to understand what happens to you. So I think one thing to get away from that, people always hang it on depression. Like it's this thing, those depression commercials, you know, like you're just sitting in your room, people hang it on suicide or whatever. First of all, suicide is a totally normal reaction. You do not have to be mentally ill to want to commit suicide. I've been suicidal in my life several times, several times recently, but luckily I understand how the mind works. You know, your body wants to live, but what your mind does is say, I can't take these problems consistently every day and I want these problems to stop. And so your body goes, okay, well, the next logical thing, well, I can just kill myself. You know, not the next logical thing, but all it means is you want your problems to stop. And in fact, they said most people who have survived suicide attempts immediately realize that, like, the, you know, all of those things in their lives, those problems could stop and could change. The only thing you can't change is having jumped off that roof or having taken these um, extra pills and things like that. Everything is temporary. Bad things, good things, everything is temporary. So I think getting away from hanging your, your hat on this whole depression or suicide or these evil extremes. You know, I'm talking about all the people in the middle. I'm talking about all the feelings in the middle of just life. You know, and talking about those things and normalizing them most importantly. It's totally normal. Mm. If you look at someone who's constantly, and I think that's something that happens in America. What's really hot right now is mindfulness and gratitude or whatever. And I've had people come in my office and be like, parents just died and I guess I should just be grateful you know like that's your first response but those are the self-help books that are big you should be yeah. grateful practice an attitude of gratitude be high-minded be positive or whatever like it's very hard to be positive when things are and I want to meet people where they are there's nothing wrong it's totally normal for you to feel sad when these very extreme life circumstances happen you know and how you get out of that feeling is by talking about it and healing from it and then you never have to deal with it again so I want to talk about emotions and feelings and transitions and change and just life. Life is totally illogical. I'm trying to apply it and approach it in a logical way is where that kind of disconnect and conflict that I was talking about really kind of happens. Yeah. So I, I just want people to be more open about stuff. You know, like when yeah. people think therapy, they think problems, but everybody has stuff. And so I, that's where we are. That's what therapists and coaches mm -hmm. do. It's just to clear out all that stuff so you can be clear and aligned. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what I'm trying to, that's what I want people to think about, which I think <laughs> is, I think, more palatable, so... That's all amazing. And so I guess we're kind of coming to a wrap up. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Just that everyday stuff. I think that's the most interesting. I'm not afraid of that. People have darkness, people have demons, people have like tough days, but I think that's where all the interesting stuff happens. You know, like for me, most of those things are temporary. And what for me, it's kind of like, you know, if you think of the narrative and like being a caterpillar in this cocoon or whatever, the bigger that cocoon is, the more change that's happening, you know? So rather than resisting reality, I like, I really like to lean into it. You know, like it's just like any cold, it's gotta run its course. It's there to teach you something, you know? And it's a shame, it would be a total shame to not learn from this experience and keep running into it over and over in your life. So I feel like don't be ashamed of anything that you're going through. Don't resist anything. You know, go downstream with it. You know, it's, it's taking you somewhere. And I really encourage people to be aware of that journey and aware of that struggle and own it because it's going to be part of your life. It doesn't define you, but it's going to be part of that person that you're building and this life that you're creating. And I think that's something to be excited about. Amazing words of wisdom. <laughs> and thank you so much, B. And I will definitely put a lot of the psychology stuff you referenced on the site and the link to In Your Corner so yeah. people can check it out. And thank you so much for spending this lovely Monday afternoon Aww. with me. Oh, it was a pleasure. And um, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to see how stuff develops.